Kia ora everyone at home, we hope this finds you well. I'm Fa'asu and this is Katrina. Hi. And today we spoke to Pacific artist Xavier Breed about his navigations between his culture, his art, and his mental health. Yeah, thanks so much for being here, Xavier. Yeah, thank you so much for asking me. Like, it's a huge, huge privilege to, like, be able to share, I guess, some insights in terms of, like, the questions. Yeah, I had a look, and it was really cool. I actually sat in bed, like, at 3 a.m. this morning. I was reading over it. I was like, these questions are, could, are heavy, but I think I've 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 had my heavy moments before, you know, mm. while handling my mental health. Mm -hmm. So I feel like in terms of navigating the questions, I don't though I will open up because I feel comfortable too. And I think you know, the meeting you here and just um being knowing Fasu will you know will also hold me in terms of that space. I I think I feel good. Like I think it's I'm at a comfortable stage where I can talk about these things. And I hope that in doing so will help someone else that might not be able to articulate yeah. the experience, you know? Yeah, I think I especially am very curious to hear your story and just talk about yourself a little bit if you feel comfortable to. <laughs> I do like it when it's not a forced, <laughs> not a forced, but you know, like I'm like when I'm in a certain type of environment, but with artists, I feel... It's different with artists to, to talk about yourself, you know? Artists, I think it's because it feels, it just feels weird, different, yeah. Oh, but I'll try. Yeah, so, so um, Xavier, do you want to tell us about your history with, should we start off with dance and the arts? Oh, first, well, Xavier Xavier For anyone that's watching, my journey with dance, I, I, I think my journey in dance really started with family. It started in church when I was a little, a little boy. It started with watching my grandparents, my aunties and uncles um, dance to their olden day music, like ABBA and stuff and random remixes of songs in the garage on a Sunday feast. And I think that was my first exposure to movement and what movement could, could look like. And I didn't notice it was movement at the time. I just saw them having fun, really. And then um, my cousin and I always, you know, I think either they, my family saw the talent in us or because we were massive limelight hoggers. <laughs> so my cousin and I were um, always asked to perform. We were kind of the, the duo that always asked to entertain everyone. And so, yeah, we just started dancing and just like moving and entertaining to try and make our family laugh. I think that was really my introduction to movement or, or dance um, mm. as, a, as a kind of style. And as time progressed, you know, I started to get kind of used to watching dance. But I think it wasn't until high school where I actually there were opportunities available for me to immerse myself in dance opportunities, particularly within, say, hip-hop with Bring It On, but with particularly NCA dance, that I was really immersed and learning about dance as, as, as a culture, as a way of being, as, as a movement, as, um, as different movement from different cultures. And so I feel like that was my first touch of dance and going, wow, all the things that I've learned and the traditional dances that I've been involved in back in the past and my Samoan heritage, that 
you know, being able to learn about that and, and understand that those have made up who I am as an artist and a dancer. Yeah, it was really at, at end, with NTA Dance when, it st- when all those in- experiences started to influence my choreography and my way of moving. And so, yes, I did NTA Dance. And then at the end of 2013, here's me thinking, oh, well, I'm going to university. What am I going to study in? Instantly in my head, I was going, well, dance is a hobby. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of thought, well, I'm going to be a lawyer, a politician, mm-hmm. or an anesthetist. So those are very different. But, <laughs> um, my dad kind of said to me in a very like subtle way that I'd fail if I do law in, in a loving way, just because there's a lot of reading. Yeah. Um, and he knows that I'm a big talker and reading ain't always my most strongest strength. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, probably not the one. And so, yeah, so he said to have a big think about law. Like my, my Samoan family were stoked because they thought they were going to get this lawyer um, psych. But yeah, law was one option. The other option was politics. But that was kind of the last thing because I thought anesthetist. I was thinking money as well. So mm. like anesthetist. And then my parents said I was impatient enough and that could kill a pain. Um, and so that was very true as well. So, you know, so I was kind of like, great, my parents are very honest and I love it. I love that class. But you know what? It's, it's really turned out well because in terms of politics, I looked at politics and I was like, I'll go audition for Auckland Uni. And so I went and auditioned for Auckland Uni and that's when I looked, I was like, politics well, dance is political, Mm -hmm. the arts is a a thing. Mm -hmm. And I thought, if I want to be in politics or international diplomacy, maybe arts isn't as far away from that as I thought, Mm -hmm. you know? And maybe studying it is like just the start of it, but I can still be in that space, even if I study through the arts and I'm just coming through it from it from a completely different lens. So Mm -hmm. the lawyer didn't turn out, you know, or the anesthetist, but we ended it up, uh, we ended up dancing. So um, at the end of 2013, oh no, beginning 2014, when I started dance school, I went to Unitech first, but I actually received what solidified it was me going to do dance was I actually got first in NCAA dance for New Zealand. And that was a big like, wow, because it kind of like, my parents said to me, follow your passions and follow what you're, what you're good at or follow what, what you're doing well at at the moment and this was a that was a big affirmation for me to go this is it this is the way i'm going and so from there i went to study and i went to study at unitech first and that was amazing and that was a i studied there for one semester and then i just decided to move to auckland i guess because of the the university in terms of university of auckland had the different subjects like politics and stuff there so there was a lot more opportunities to mix with opportunities outside of the arts um, and for me if I wanted to be in a space like diplomacy and politics I know that I wanted to be in spaces that weren't just the arts and so yeah I moved I moved to Auckland University I studied there for my up to my master's and I've just finished my master's in dance and that's all about intercultural um, diplomacy and dance and then and I've I, in my dance degree I've been back and forth studying in Asia and here in New Zealand so in my second year in my second semester I went to study in Korea taught to Macau with my year group in third year and then in fourth and fifth year during my master's and my postgrad that I went to Taiwan and studied and did my master's research. So it's been, yeah. And this is how 
who I am, how I've turned out. And it's just, um, you know, I've just been a big funnel and sponge of knowledge really in the past few years. And now it's all about really creating, mm. but also feeding mm. back the tools and the skills that I've obtained through that time and the experiences to empower other young people, particularly Indigenous young people to follow their dreams and to not overthink what they want to do and to just do it and mm. know that they have the support to do it and to take risks. But taking risks has has a lot of implications, especially if you don't have the support system. So this conversation in this space is is really awesome for us to kind of discuss what what does that what does risk taking sometimes create in terms of mm. the individual or how we feel um, and how it can I guess affect us further along the track if we're if we're constantly innovating as artists and creating and putting ourselves out there, you know. So mm. yeah. You mentioned um cultural pressure from your Samoan family in specific. And as a Samoan I understand that there are cultural implications that happen with you being from Samoa and your family immigrating to New Zealand, did you, can you speak on um, any cultural pressures that have had positive or negative implications on yourself, if you're comfortable? Yeah, I mean, Samoan families are very loving and they're very, they're very heartwarming. But I guess in the move to New Zealand, the careers and the opportunities started to change. They're looking to survive. They're looking to give their, their kids a better future. But better future didn't necessarily mean following your passions. It meant finding a job that paid the most money. And that, you know, in terms of being in, in a new country, being able to have money was being able to also have opportunities, more opportunities that some of our grandparents didn't have when they moved over and had to start out fresh. And so, you know, for my family, I don't think that their, their choices, you know, it, it felt I wasn't, say, forced to study because I'm thankful that my parents were very open-minded. But for my grandparents, I think the expectations upon me, especially going through school, they kind of saw me as someone to be in that lawyer kind of space because I am a good talker, but being a lawyer isn't just about being a good talker. You know, my, my grandparents, I think the big thought in their mind is generally being able to provide back for your family financially and trying to help family out whether that's your nuclear family, but also the wider family. And that's counting our villages back in Samoa, um, my grandparents themselves, my family, my parents and my siblings. So, you know, there was that big pressure. And so dance isn't seen as a career or, or the arts isn't seen as a career full stop. It's for a lot of them, they don't even know that you can do something in that, in that space. And so there's already associations with, well, it's not existent. And so therefore probably not a lot of money because they've got that mindset that the money comes from law and medicine, et cetera. And so, yeah, there were, you know, un unconscious kind of pressures that I had to, I was failing my, my grandparents in terms of their dreams because there'd been, always been the dream of theirs to have one, a, a, a grandson that goes or granddaughter that goes to university and I ticked that off, but I guess it wasn't in the image of what they wanted. And that, that kind of, uh, uh, when, you're, when you carry your village name and you carry the name of your family and your ancestors on your back, it, it can be a lot, a lot of pressure having that expectation because you, you, you realise that sometimes you are a migrant dream, but the migrant dream nowadays, it looks different in terms of it's not, um, it isn't our forefathers have paved the path, uh, but they paved the path for many opportunities and not just funnelled into 
what was traditionally known as as kind of the survival, you know, go-to indoor career choices. So, yeah. And I mean, my grandparents, for example, my nana thought I was studying law up until my second year. <laughs> and it was quite funny because she talked to me and she'd say, how's your law degree going? I'm like, well, um, <laughs> well, um, well, I went to a law paper with my cousin who was doing land law. I mean, I sat in her paper kind of like reflected on the paper. I was like, yeah, we're learning about the, the Treaty of Waitangi. Uh, I was like, yeah, we're learning about that kind of stuff. And so it wasn't until, you know, and she was like, so what else are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm dancing. She's like, oh, that's a good hobby. And I was like, well, <laughs> hobby, that's my full-time gig. So, um, <laughs> um, so that was, and then when she found out I was doing a dance degree, she, it took her a bit of time. But I think when she noticed that at the end of the day, what I'm doing you know, dance is important for Indigenous peoples, but for all peoples, especially because it upholds our culture. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's the intangible effects of what I do that are important in terms of my service and just underlying principles of Samoan culture and values mm-hmm. that really kind of affirm to her, oh, while he's doing this, yes, might not be the big money earner, but his input into the community is a lot more than what he's getting out from it in terms of monetarily but that's just that's a salmon value service so mm. I mean, you can't you can't tell you know contradict yourself and tell not to do something based on that if you've been teaching me all of my life about service right mm. so yeah so it, it's it was a full kind of circle moment and i think it was when i started going well i'm gonna go do my master's and maybe my phd and she was like oh, a doctor but i don't think she fully understands that it's not a doctor <laughs> It's not the doctor that can deliver a baby on the on the plane or anything like that. You know? <laughs> yeah. the, the doctor of philosophy. The doctor of, you know, but she's proud. I mean, she's proud now because I, I think, you know, I've, I've now it's not the degree I've done, the, the study. It's about, I guess, what am I doing at the moment to serve my community, to serve mm. people. And I think for, for, for her and the family is a lot more, fulfilling for them to see that and to hear that and to know of that then whatever my salary rate wages which we don't need to talk about um, no, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah so yeah thank you for that um i think yeah what you mentioned about risk taking also probably plays a lot into that and so i wonder like what systems were in place or not in place when you were taking these risks and what systems do you think like young dancers need in order to feel permission to take the risk of like going into a career that is potentially not as monetarily rewarding and also given all of those you know I think hindrances that Mm. our cultures place on a career that isn't a nine-to-five job whatever that means (laughs) Not during COVID, definitely. <laughs> well, I think a big thing, so I've, I've always been someone who goes against the grain. And I don't think that's naturally everyone's trait. You know, this, we all have our different roles and who we are naturally. And I think mine was very much an innovator. Mm-hmm. I love breaking boundaries and pushing against things and people and systems. And I love mixing pots just because I, 
yeah, I, I, I felt like my responsibility to my community is to create space. Mm. Um, but create space also means trying to do it myself so that I put myself in that position. So I know that if anyone follows on from that, that they will be held better or they mm. will have no someone that has done it before. Mm. So for me, I think when I, when, you know, talking about risk taking, because I've always had that, that mentality that kind of like to be the first, but not be the first to be the first. It was be mm. the first so I can show that my community is that it is possible to do this certain thing and mm. to be a certain thing. And mm. so for me, it was, it was that a friend of mine said it really well is um, you can't be what you can't see. Mm. And for many of our Pacific young people, but also dancers, young people in general, you know, if, if you can't see it on the TV, if you can't see it in your community and if you can't see it happening, you won't think maybe it's possible. Yeah. And so for me, you know, looking at that and going, well, if I can make it work and make it happen, it might be the shining light for another young artist or a young indigenous person to be able to go, oh my gosh, it is possible mm-hmm. and yeah. it can happen mm-hmm. and I can do it. And so, um, you know, that, that kind of like fuels me and still fuels me to this day is that if I can create those spaces and undertake those opportunities to then pass on those tools and to create space for others to then take it and not be a gatekeeper about it, mm. um, then that, and, and a big support system around that was knowing, I think, who I am culturally. And that has been a, a journey of itself. I mean, I'm still on that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but my family and my friends, but particularly my family, have been so imperative to that. And, mm-hmm. you know, being able to have a family that really loves me and, like, holds me well. You know, I have the, the honour of having... Um, he, he is my blood dad, but he is my dad nonetheless, who is European. So to be able to have a Samoan mum and a Samoan family, but my dad's side, who is who's New Zealand Pākehā, being able to be influenced and to learn, you know, and not be so embedded with the traditional upbringing, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, Samoan culture, but to have a, the best of both worlds and take the best from both sides. Um, you know, and, and to, to have the support of my parents in a way that is, I can be a bit more vocal about what I'm thinking or, you know, talk about issues that might seem taboo within Samoan cultures, to speak it quite openly with my parents. I think having that support and that openness to communicate and to discuss and to dissect and, and, and um, analyse things, issues, you know, politics, my thoughts and ideas, my parents' thoughts and ideas, perspectives, all of that jazz, I think that that was really imperative to me being able to take risks and to feel mm. confident in myself when I do take those risks. Mm. To always know I'll fall mm. back on all my family if anything ever went wrong. You know? Yeah. I I wonder, Fasu, um, uh, this was a question that you had written, um, um, and this is kind of related, but maybe going on in a different direction as well. For you, um, what what goes into creating a safe and inclusive uh, dance space? Um, when, I, when I think of facilitation of any space, it, it always puts not only those who are participating, it puts me, it puts the, the participants, and it puts love at the center of everything. Mm. And I think that, you know, we've had messages during COVID saying, be kind, be kind. And I think that is really, you know, for me, that kind of reminds you of, of the type of spaces I try and facilitate or 
try and um, create is, is, is spaces where, where it's kind and loving, perhaps because I've been in spaces that have been kind and loving and nurturing. Hmm. And I know how it feels when I'm fully comfortable with myself to be able to laugh as loudly as I do, which I do laugh very loudly, but to be unapologetically me, to be me with all of the bits of me, and that's my culture included and my family and my village. And so I can only imagine how it would be for dancers who come into a space where they're not facilitating to be a collaborator mm. in that space. And so mm. I've, I've always um, wanted to make sure that that euphoria or that sense of warmth, which we in Samoa call mafana fana, it's that warm, fuzzy feeling that you get when you're watching something or you're immersed in a space where you're cheering for each other and you're energetic and you're supporting each other. I think that is the type of environment that I've always tried and, and, and create within my spaces because um, that sense of warmth, that sense of energy, you don't have to be an extrovert person, be introvert, but if you could feel that sense of warmth from the way I act and the way I facilitate something or space and you feel that sense of warmth from me, for me that is that, that helps in, you know, I guess my purpose within my choreographic arts or, or my artistic processes and making sure that the dancers are, 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 are held tightly and know that they're, they're really in a safe space to do what they want to do, to, to be who they want to be and to also um, debate with me, you know, and that, that, you know, it, that should be an open, I feel like a safe space is also a space where you are able to discuss some hard issues and to discuss things that might not be in line with what I think or how I do things, but hopefully in the facilitation of a safe and loving space that people are able to acknowledge that there's love at the center of our relationship and that we can talk about things that maybe are against our beliefs or maybe against what we think is right. So, yeah. Um, I, I think something that's not spoken about quite a bit is um, humor and yeah. within I've worked in with the, um, in your processes a few times now with you as the choreographer collaborator and yeah something within your processes that is so prevalent is just the laughter and just if, like humor being allowed in a space where you're working towards a show or working towards a festival where things tend to get very serious and time crunching and heavy but I think working along with humor and just in a safe mm-hmm. space, especially I, with working with you, I felt comfortable enough to question your reasonings for decisions making and like just, yeah, even like laughing within rehearsals just changed the whole mood and motivates me personally to make and work harder. So totally. yeah, that's something. I, I think that that's really beautiful that you say that. Cause I think at the center of it, you know, when we are in a space we feel safe, but also an artistic space, we, we we're doing it because we love it. And um, you'd only hope that we're enjoying what we're doing, <laughs> you know, like, you know, so I, I think if we are enjoying it, laughter is naturally a part of the process. And I think when we laugh, we also get to alleviate some of the heaviness that we bring into the space and not forget it, because those you know think issues that we have outside of the space are totally valid and should be in the space because that's all a part of who we are. 
but it can alleviate some of the heaviness and the, the maybe fatigue that we feel or it can also alleviate times when we've had a discussion and we've resolved it and the best way to get back into it is to laugh and reaffirm the relationships in the room you know and so you're totally right. We, I, you know, from what our, our group, we did laugh constantly, but we also knew when to get down and go, okay, guys, stop laughing. We need to get back into work, you know? But the safe was safe enough for us to be able to go, cool, we've had our laugh. I've got sore abs, non-existent abs from um, laughing. So, but now we have to get back into work, you know? And, and to be able to switch from there and still have love at the center of it as, as I think really, really, uh, mm. it's a hard skill to master, but you know, I think again, you can't be what you can't see. So if there's not as many spaces that facilitate that, then a lot of our dancers won't be experiencing that. And so therefore they won't know that feeling and they won't be able to. Mm. So just having more practitioners and more artists that I think can pass that skill or pass that, that space on, right. To be able to facilitate those kind of safe spaces. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I um, I think, you know, when you were talking about your history, you, you mentioned fun and joy, like, so often. And I it made me wonder, like, as we formalize, uh, air quotes, our dance education, is there enough focus in, in these institutions around the fact that, like, one thing that probably is well i mean probably a big part of what is feeding that love is that it is fun you know (laughs) rather than like this skill and i don't i wonder if there's even enough if we're creating enough space for that so i'm appreciate i mean and also like I, I've never met you, but like you gave me warm and fuzzies like pretty much as soon as we got into the Zoom call, you know, talking about your internet story, you know, and so it's <laughs> and that lightened the mood and it and the body becomes available to like receive, mm-hmm. you know, information and joy. Um, yeah, so which yeah, you know, in a time like now, I feel like we need that more than ever, mm-hmm. right? and it's hard to read people's aura through through a, a, a screen. I know. <laughs> yeah. But it's a reciprocal thing as well because I feel like the open the the way that you and Fasu come in and you really present yourself and you smile and you're just very and people's people and you can tell that just by seeing you get guys at the first instance invites me also to reciprocate mm-hmm. and and invite you into my space, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, and I think I have I big give big ups to also my family and my cultural upbringing as well like Mm. i think pacific culture is a very warm fuzzy culture Mm. i mean you know like it's very lively it's very loud we laugh a lot and that's because when we are in the village we believe that the energy that we create is verbal as well Mm. so we verbalize a lot of our emotions Mm. which we believe it uplifts everyone else in the space and i think that's why it's kind of intrinsically kind of filtered down into my my own process mm-hmm. um, where I feel like if I laugh, someone else would laugh. Mm-hmm. And then some, you know, the whole energy mm-hmm. is just really right. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone's laughing, then you just feel good, you know? Yeah. I, unfortunately, I think sometimes in dance spaces, we don't create that um, ability to verbalize what you're feeling um, or mm-hmm. we don't prioritize it. Or, not seen as um professional yeah yeah and i think that's also something we need to look at is what is professionalism and what Mm -hmm. 
foundations has professionalism been built upon, especially mm-hmm. when we look at dance style communities, because professionalism looks very different for different communities around the world, you know? So that's a huge, that's a, that's the second uh, a webinar series. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah. Professionalism. Um, I mean, we, oh man, this, the time has flown by, but um, do you feel comfortable oh, wow. to like touch on that? Yeah, it's interesting. I think coming into Unitech, <laughs> oh wait, coming into a school, you know, my first instance of tertiary dance education. So not only that school, it's all schools, tertiary dance schools where ballet is very like formal it's very much this is what you need to be like don't you know this is what you have to look like you have to be in this certain way and form but especially from a place or from a uh, especially when you're not as comfortable being in that certain way or form where you don't see that as yeah, you're just not comfortable with presenting yourself in that way or you're just not used to it whatsoever you know professionalism for me is not only the physical atmosphere and it's not only the physical presence, it's the spiritual and emotional and mental capacity that you bring to the space. And sometimes for me, the professionalism, the the way you look does not matter. And there's a time and a space. I mean, if you're in corporate, then it might be a bit different, but within an artistic space in my spaces, I don't care how you turn up. As long as you're comfortable and you're warm and you're feeling good, like for me, that is professional enough because, you know, if you can commit yourself fully emotionally, mentally, spiritually to the process then that invites you to let go of yourself physically and to really commit yourself into to the work. And that has nothing to do with the clothes that you're wearing. Sometimes, well, unless you're wearing a, like a big jacket or coat or something during a dance, then of course, but like the concept of professionalism is very archaic and it's very much centered in a very Western sense of professionalism. But for me, coming through, you know, when I, if I see dancers, just them turning up and even what they were wearing for their pajamas in the morning, I'm just like, well, as long as you're here, as long as you're here safe and you've been fed and you're happy and you're all about just committing yourself to this rehearsal in whatever way or form, that for me is a sense of professionalism because that's someone that's willing to get out of bed to make their way to the space to then commit to contributing to this idea that I've created that will co-create and start to reform together. And I think that for me, it's professionalism. Yeah. Oh man. I feel that I, I like, I have a big thing about like being on timeness, you know, and that notion of like, it's unprofessional to be late. And it's like, yeah, yeah. you know what N- notions around time are cultural are informed by our culture. A and B, um, if you have, you know, in my case, I have a lot of anxiety around going mm-hmm. to new places. So it takes me quite a long time to get to that new place because I'm like, either I have to be an hour ahead of time so that I like can, you know, figure everything out or I'm going to be an hour late so I can have that time, to, you know? And it's like, if we continuously say that, you know, 9 a.m. is the time on time, we're going to lose so many people who just don't jive with that, you know? And mm. yeah. I think you're so right. Because I think for us, who do, I, do you remember, I think for us, when we set times, we usually kind of set a time and people just dribble in. Yeah. 
and start, we have a kind of start time, you know, we're kind of, we're, I think it's also the language, right? It's how we, it's the relationships and the language that we use. I think if the relationships, you, you're, you feel free, you kind of, you don't feel as forced. It's like you will do it out of like a way where you're safe enough. Like if you do turn up late, then you turn up late, but you're not trying to turn up late and you're trying your best. And if you turn up five to 10 minutes late, then so be it. I think the fact, you know, I mean, it's a different story if you turn up two hours and that's a different thing. But again, I think it's that questioning and not assuming of that person and, and their personality. Right. And so mm. when, when someone turns up two hours, it's going to quit. I always have to bring into perspective nowadays. I always think of, um, my cousin, Zach Sokai said this awesome, amazing thing. And he said, every behavior has a whakapapa. So every way, every way in which we think has a, has a, has a, has a root, has a, a place where it stems from. And so when I think of that, and when I, when I, I use that everywhere now, when I look at people driving bad on the road, I'm like, that stemmed from somewhere. I'm angry at you for swimming <laughs> my lane, but that, has come from somewhere you didn't you must have learned that because maybe that's what you've been immersed in so i mm. always now when someone turns up late and stuff or you know i always don't kind of assume why well, you're late i'm so mad i'm kind of going well no 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 no. i see it from this side what are the other angles in which you know what again what like what you were saying katrina you you have anxiety so what other things are going on in their life which inhibit them from turning up on time and whether that just means a conversation with them to go, hey, like, is it, are you okay? Is everything all right? Like, you know, I think, yeah, uh, you're, I totally agree with what you say in terms of um, this whole time thing has become so, and yes, there's a time and a place, but I, I think a lot of, um, uh, that's why relationships are so important and the language we use and the spaces that we hold are so important is because if you have those spaces, people wouldn't feel as, anxious or as um you know like forced to this kind of time frame when you get told this is where you have to be at this certain time because everyone's time pressure as well and then speaking into that the with those professional uh guidelines put in place when you go against them the repercussions of them can be so uh self-destructive so like turning up late to rehearsal and then getting a consequence for it or people treating you differently because you were late and they consider you unprofessional is so self-destructive to the point where it inhibits your professional and your creative practice. And really? in my mind, a, something, a professional practice is something that allows you to create in your best space and do in your best ways. So really? these professional guidelines that are in place now that you get backlash for breaking that inhibits your creative practice is not professional. It, yep. it goes against my, what my, my idea of being professional is. So, and how you were talking about um, ballet and even in dance processes, having to look a certain way, be a certain way. Like for someone like me, those binaries don't work for me. Totally. So having those binaries so rigidly to the point where I feel forced to follow them Mm. again, takes away from my creative practice and is destructive to my mental health to the point where it makes me question, is, if this is the way the dance industry is, do I want to be a part of it? If, this, if the dance industry has these binaries that I don't agree with, am I a dancer? 
and then I mm. question my self-worth and then it just keeps going. So this discussion about professionalism is so important to have. Totally. Like it's, 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 it's what you, you know, there's, and there's a way in which you handle situations. If someone that, you know, if time, if time is an issue, there are ways in which you can handle that space in terms of conversation and sitting down, getting a coffee and lunch and going, Hey, what's going on? Let's talk about everything else. And then we'll talk about like time. But I think the ways in which what you talk about, the repercussions of turning up outside of that are totally detrimental to people's mental health. Because mm. if you're seen as coming in late and you have all this burden and baggage, cause you're already late, you know, the extra layer and the alienation of who you are because you have turned up late and that whole, you know, sense of I, you know, I'm, I'm not professional and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm kind of being looking, look, being looked down upon because of that, that has a lot la- long lasting effect and it can be traumatic for a lot of people, you know, mm. that, that's kind of what f- would fuel for me. That's kind of, and, and, you know, f- uh, unfortunately ballet for me, is a bit traumatic sometimes because I only remember the memories that I had before while learning and how rigid it was. But I I guess it was the way in which the spaces were taught or held and which have made me feel like I wasn't not myself, but I just didn't feel like, yeah, I was valued in terms of every part of me, especially the parts of me that aren't perfect or don't fit within the ballet kind of mentality. Or, or just like dance, that kind of institutional dance mentality as well. So yeah, totally right. And also just, I think, um, just plugging again, I, Alani and Jacob are talking about professionalism in their tempo video, right? I think that is their interview subject matter. So mm-hmm. potentially checking them out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> yeah. And also I guess it's, it's, it's beautiful because of the mental health aspect that you're you know this is this conversation's really bringing is that there's bigger the bigger picture it's mm-hmm. not just this you know, sexuality mm-hmm. of, of issues so yeah 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 i wonder like um what you have found helpful in maintaining mental health um that you would be comfortable sharing with us so in terms of my mental health so recently, I think, I think maybe perhaps I'll start with the root of it. So actually last year, November, I had a massive mental health breakdown and it really, yeah, it really affected the way I was with my, with my family. And I think it was a long, it was, it was coming. That, yeah. that's, let's, have, let's put it there. It was, it was coming and it was the volcano eruption mm-hmm. after the volcanoes doing its little rumble in the, mm-hmm. in the mountain. You know? So last year, it really like, um, I went quite out of control in terms of my mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and it started with a very small issue, but I think because of how much I've, um, I guess my fatigue and anxiety, pressures of societal norms and pressures of just you know trying to live in a society that is so tiring sometimes mm-hmm. um but also work mm-hmm. trying to be an artist but also trying to be able to get money to provide for my family and mm-hmm. trying to you know live my purpose and all of those things i think at november it really blew over and so i ended up quitting my job mm-hmm. I stopped initiatives that I was doing 
said no to everything, went really cold turkey on the world. Um, and then I ended up just shutting off. And I started to, it was when I started to get anxiety attacks. And so new space for me, because I was kind of like, um, for me, I never thought of myself as someone that would be able to get mental health, uh, like mental health issues. Mm -hmm. I always thought of myself as quite a formidable kind of Mm-hmm. like person and being and I think that was part of the issue is that I was so I was so in my zone doing my thing you know trying to serve and trying to do what I do but very ignorant to the fact that mental health is a, is a part of who we are intrinsically mm-hmm. as people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I I didn't I wasn't focused on that and that it was never my focus mm-hmm. and November last year was only the tipping point of that mm-hmm. and really was it went from you know not zero I would say but it went very much from a 20 to 120 percent you know Mm. so I think before I was kind of like I thought that talking about my mental health was also talking to my weakness Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and like I I didn't want to look vulnerable to people because Mm -hmm. I hate that Mm -hmm. but then at the same time I feel like with my mental health there's a lot of people, like, when I've been very vocal about it, people have been like, oh, I actually... Because they don't... See, this This is an issue as well, is the assumptions of us. Mm, you know, yeah. We're so, like, holding yeah. space all the time, or if we're constantly out there, people assume that we're this kind of formidable being that isn't, isn't affected by everyday issues and yeah. emotions, and sometimes we have shitty days as well. Like, people think yeah. that we don't do have them as well. Yeah. But... We have them probably just as much as the you know average human, yeah. if not more. You yeah. know, and so I think it's also a big reminder for me. It's like I know this is like very extreme level, like suicide mm-hmm. as well. You know, like in terms of suicide, suicide doesn't discriminate, and it doesn't discriminate amongst also people of different social abilities mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. like auras and and who they are. You know, so in terms of, you know, people could look at us and be like, yeah, they're fine. They're always talking yeah. out to people. Yeah. What are yeah. they doing behind? Yeah. What are yeah. they doing behind the curtain that you don't know about? Yeah. You yeah. know, the part of them, you know, that you don't see. So. Yeah, and why I'm, do, I'm, why I'm, do they think that it has to be behind the curtain? You know, it's mm, like, of yeah. course we, we definitely have to have boundaries and, you know, totally. privacy, but why do we think that, mental health has to be behind a curtain, you know, that um, what, what in our culture went, went wrong, you know, that we didn't want to talk about. (laughs) Yeah. It's a whole nother can of worms. (laughs) A whole nother can of worms that (laughs) very conscious of like, I've, I've started to notice it as well as conscious of our parents and our grandparents. Mm. And I feel like, often forget them in the conversation yeah or just remember looking at mental health because i think we we see our parents as really i mean our parents are amazing very strong human beings they have done awesome stuff especially to bring up us yeah, <laughs> <into like laughs> yeah. I, i've started to notice a lot is like man what do my parents feel you know mm, like, mm. i never talk about mental health with my own parents mm, mm. and for me i was like oh my gosh i actually haven't asked my mom and dad and like be like how are you like how are you really doing yeah and i it wasn't until i asked my dad and he was like oh, i actually feel like pretty shit mm. 
Mm. I was like, that's totally fine. And because of that, I'll cook dinner and all of that. But you know, like it's that communication that mm. I feel like is so important. But for me, I was kind of oblivious because I was like, my parents are amazing because they're, they're resilient, they're strong, they're doing all of this for us. But I'm like, man, they're just as, as vulnerable to mental health issues as I am. Totally. Probably show me because I'm their kid. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Noticing that they look like they have their shit together, but actually oh. same, they, they're they struggling with similar things, you know? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's one of the biggest, I feel like the biggest worry for a parent is knowing that their kid is worried or mm-hmm. like knowing mm-hmm. that they're dirty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that when they leave this earth, that their children or their child will be A-OK. Mm-hmm, and I feel mm-hmm. like it's kind of like an over-lingering, uh, over-lingering like, mm-hmm. like pressure, you know? Yeah. And so that really, um, I think that, you know, from there, from November 2019 until no- now has been a really big process of navigating my mental health and me kind of re-strengthening and rebuilding myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this person that I am at the moment, though I'm very extroverted, I guess people tend to not see what I'm like behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. which is very much similar and the same, but can be a very different from what I'm like. And I Mm -hmm. think because Mm -hmm. nowadays I very much am an introvert now in mm-hmm. terms of when I'm away from people and spaces, I'm very conscious of what I put myself into. And, and, you know, when we talk about how, how are we dealing it with it, it's really now looking at opportunities and going, what feeds my cup. And so for now, you know, I, I quit work full-time work at the university and it was going, what feeds me the most and what's going to mm-hmm. help me into myself and to know my purpose and to actually realize my purpose mm-hmm. and that for me was going back into the arts it was mm-hmm. like going to feed back the knowledge and the skills we're coming back to that conversation of my purpose is mm-hmm. feeding back the skills and the knowledge and the experiences that I've had into other people mm-hmm. um, and I was doing that in my job um, and I felt like I was very much giving two opportunities and creating opportunities out of an empty cup Mm-hmm. but I would really pick up my cup in yeah. terms of maybe the thing that I was doing. So, you know, it, it meant me kind of saying no to everything and me going, well, I love youth. I love working with our young people. And so it's, it's going, well, I love dancing with our young people. I love creating and I love creating that safe space we talk about mm-hmm. to make them feel like they're on top of the world when they're dancing and to learn something completely out of their comfort zone, but to own it and to mm-hmm. feel that warmth and sense of like that sense of of um what do you call it not power but in control of mm. themselves and mm. who they are mm. um and that's for people of different cultures of different ethnicities genders sexualities you know and so to be able to facilitate those spaces for our young people who from you know the teachers have been saying that young people are in schools are experiencing anxiety at early ages of 11 mm. and even early Mm-hmm. to facilitate spaces where dances is the medium but is not the go-to end all it's really facilitating creative spaces for them to just be free and mm-hmm. be crazy out there with the ideas and be out there with their personalities i think for me was being something that would fill my cup and so it has mm-hmm. been filling my cup, mm-hmm. being back with people because 
I mean, it's, um, you know, they're, they're, they're the next gen. They're the ones that are going to be doing it in the near future. But that's been filling my cup a lot and being home and mm-hmm. reaffirming my relationships with family. You know, now that I'm freelancing, being home and doing the dishes and like doing things that really are simple, that trying to get, you know, for me, it's, it's going back to normality, but also simplicity mm-hmm. in terms of being home with my family, which was something I didn't, wasn't doing often compared to back in the heydays where I was always home with my family. I had never been home with my family a lot. I was always out. I had only come mm. home to sleep. So I was, you know, through my past few years of studying dance and being training in dance, I was disconnecting as well from my family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and so for me, it was also simplicity and in and, and terms of being home and doing the dishes. Going back to my roots, man, doing the dishes, not with the my hands. Yeah, the fair the chores, you know, and someone else, you have to do the chores. So to be able to like serve my family and to know that it helps my family, though I'm in a freelance position, to have to be able to do that, I know is filling their cup, but filling mm. my cup as well. Mm-hmm. And all the things that I found were normal back a long time ago that I now is part of my practice again, mm. like vacuuming the house every few days or washing the dishes, folding the washing, you know, coming down, making sure everything's clean. I'm a bit of a clean freak now, which is awesome, but also a bit of a, like, a curse. Um, <laughs> so I feel like I'm like, yeah, it's like having my mental health, but when I see something really dirty, it really triggers me. And I'm like, <laughs> so, you know, it's it's been really, like, beautiful being able to reaffirm my relationships with family, you know, cutting down, seeing my friends, and I love my friends, and nonetheless, I will mm-hmm. always love my friends. But I've said no to a lot of catching up with people. I've said, been very honest and said, I'm, I'm just not in the right headspace. Um, mm-hmm. And being unapologetic, mm-hmm. cool about it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm uh, uh, unapologetic, sorry, mm-hmm. about that, you know. So, you know, to be able to be like, yeah, guys, I'm not feeling it. Like, I love you guys, and but I'm not just not feeling it today. And to be happy with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I think that has been really great for me to communicate a lot more and really center my health at the center of everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, speaking of empowering and inspiring others and, and trying to lift our communities if I'm not doing it to myself, because, yeah. you know, I can be, I, it's kind of walking or talk, really. Uh, talking. Yes, walking or talk. So yeah. if I'm not walking, how can I talk it? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And talk it with the full cup as well, so that I know yeah. that I'm, I'm I'm filling other people's cups. So, yeah, those have been ways that I've been dealing with my mental health, mm-hmm. and it's been great. Like I've I feel, I mean, you're looking at me probably going, well, you're you're loud, and um, you know, you you look good, um, and and oh, getting back into dancing and training, like I've been getting into CrossFit and high intensity mm-hmm. training, but getting back into movement of all kinds, going back to and this has been quite pivotal as well, and I should have thought of this, is going to Samoan language classes. Mm-hmm. And that has been a big part of reclaiming a part of my identity that was lost. And no fault of my dad's, mm-hmm. but being in a family uh, sometimes means that one culture sometimes overcompensates for the other. Mm-hmm. Um, no fault of my dad's, it's just how we live, I guess. And so being able to go back to there, there and reclaim a bit of myself that was lost because I, you know, I was immersed in that when I was younger mm-hmm. to reclaim that, to learn a bit more of who I am culturally 
it's because I'm at that stage where I am comfortable to be on that part of my cultural journey. To do that is also helping because I feel like learning my language is healing me mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I always thought that the arts were the healing part of me. And, I, and, and it is. It is totally healing. But I think it's the context of which I portray and practice my art. So there's a, you know, it's the certain art, it's the certain process that I'm in, it's the certain context that I'm involved in, it's the certain organization and people that I work with. Mm-hmm. So though art is healing, it can also be as detrimental. And so mm-hmm. I also am very conscious of who do I work with, what am I working with, who do I work for, so that I will never be in a position where I feel empty and drained again. And it's yeah. not because of that, but you know, just I just don't want to be in that icky feeling yeah um, and the same those other dancers who either come into my spaces always just warning them you know i just want you to be yourself and mm-hmm. i don't want you to feel obliged to do this opportunity if i give you one because you know me i want you to be very much honest in terms of if financial reasons don't help um or if something's going on in your own life that, that inhibit you from doing this then don't don't be a part of it. But we you know. But we still, I still keep that relationship with you because I want to make sure you're okay. But mm. don't feel obliged to do this, you know. And so that's been a little bit reaffirmation, I guess. So yeah, all of the things. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> thank you for I, yeah, thank you so much. It's I I think like when you were talking, I was like, can we make saying no as a spiritual practice? You know, like oh. as like this is like the the thing because we don't learn that we no one teaches us to say no (laughs) there's no conversations about it we're not having enough conversations about owning that yeah just being allowed to say no for whatever reason that you deem is right for you to say no Mm -hmm. and that is why our industry is so unsustainable right now Mm -hmm. with everyone going through the same things but the taboo still being there yeah. I, I, also, it's it's like I think we have to, and and big respects to a lot of organisations out there. But I think also having our people, just because someone asks you to dance, who might be of very high caliber, big name, or you know, big reputation, does not mean you ha- are obliged to say yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. There's no there's no fear, and there's a lot of, and I've heard stories, and you know that this is just from hearing is that people have kind of felt like they were forced to say yes because of people's caliber or people's mm-hmm. reputation mm-hmm. or organization reputation. And for me, I, I think it's that whole going back to, you could be amazing at dance, but like at dancing as, as a movement and as a, practi- as a practitioner, but if it's not filling your cup, do not do it. You know, yeah. like don't do it, you know, because at the end of the day, you are the one that, it's, that is suffering from this. <laughs> You know, and, and you don't want another. There's a lot of dancers that have traumatic experiences that I'm sure that we just don't talk about. But that's because we are in an industry that is very cutthroat, very competitive, very detrimental to our mental health, and we just don't talk about it. And it's seen as though we have to constantly be resilient because we are constantly on the lookout for new projects, and we're constantly having to reaffirm ourselves, trying to say that, you know, to be a an artist, we have to be constantly creating or be practicing something. Mm-hmm. And so we already have this so much going on that we just, yeah, just say no. And just, you know, I think a lot of people say, um, 
I, I got told this. When you're at university, do everything. Say yes to everything. Mm. There is a there is a part of that. I'm like, yeah, but you have to center yourself first. Like I have yeah. a big belief. Chew off more you can buy it. And my dad taught me, chew off more you can buy it, but chew very fast. <laughs> but but in saying that, if you're gonna chew you're going to chew a lot like if you're going to to chew a lot uh take on more than you can eat sorry yeah. and chew fast yeah. watch what you eat first yes yes i like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and so that has been my real big like turning point is because i was at a stage of you know be at uni create all the works that i can be visible be out there try and like validate myself as a young artist mm. um trying to like get up to the caliber of uh, artists who, you know, those amazing artists who've been practicing for decades and mm-hmm. were at the top of their game. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, I'm not at that stage. Um, but, you know, at that, that stage of my life, I was like, okay, get all the opportunities, do it and crunch real fast and eat real fast. But in doing so, I wasn't actually digesting or mm-hmm. doing the whole imagery. Yeah. I wasn't digesting <laughs> food properly. Like I would, because the food I was taking in was not feeding me properly. Yeah, it yep. wasn't probably five plus a day vegetables and fruit yeah. that I was needing birthplace celery. Yeah, um, yeah. but you no, know, it's it's that it's that concept of yes, bite more than you can chew, chew it really fast, but make sure that that food, being the works and the environments that you're in, are really feeding you in a way that feeds your soul mm-hmm. and who you are. Mm-hmm. And that way, when you are chewing fast, you know that it's not only nutritional for you and it's feeding you, but you also know that you can handle it because mm-hmm. it's going to mm-hmm. feed you. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I feel like we can take that image like even further. It's like, and then you digest it out back into yeah. the earth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's true. And that's, you know, and, and that's all a part of it is that the, that's, you know, that whole digesting through and taking all the good parts and digesting the, the bad parts out. Yeah. 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 That can yeah. be a, we can make a graph. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the the life image. cycle. The, the life artist. cycle. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if I heard it here, we asked three things there. Can I copyright that? Oh, thank you so much for for chatting with us. This has definitely been a conversation that I am gonna chew and chew on and digest and um i feel really i feel really fed by this conversation and thank you for that um to both of you fasu and xavier because it's you know that this conversation will never happen again in this way and that is incredible you know um so yeah and and i think also you know um our stories, I mean, that's why artists are so important because stories are the most important thing. And it's mm-hmm. it's kind of very interesting and ironic that we aren't even sharing these stories amongst a whole lot of storytellers, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. It, it, it's very interesting. So I'm, I'm so glad that, again, you guys are being the innovators and going, well, we can't, we, we can't see it going on. We need to make it happen mm-hmm. and we need to make a space for it. So I'm glad that you guys are, are serving our community, mm-hmm. our arts community by doing this. And I only hope that, you know, those that are, are going through tough times at the moment, especially with their own mental health or, or those that have are doing so much 
and not realizing that, um, you know, they're not centering themselves or they're not, you know, touching base with their own mental health, that I hope that they, they realize to be kind to themselves, you know, and give themselves a lot more love than they deserve because I feel like we are constantly out there trying to do things for the world and trying to do our job and various things that we sometimes forget to come and recenter at the end of the day, you know? Mm. That's probably some of the important parts. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. Cool. Ah, thank you oh. so much. No, thank you. Thank I'm, you, I'm Xavier. Like, I have like a, I do have a full cup after this. This has been really awesome. Cool. A good day and we'll talk soon. But yeah. thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Uh. <laughs>